This second lecture is entitled, The Land and the People, How God Made Them Both. What if we viewed the Hebrew scriptures not just as the story of a people, but as the story of a land? Just as we failed for generations to see dark-skinned people as having value or perspective, we have failed to see the land as living, as a thing of worth and value. Still today, land is to be owned, but is that our place? Did God invite us to own the land? We must remember that the land was created first. It is precious to God, and it is good, and we were made to care for it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's begin at the beginning. Just as there are four Gospels and many accounts of the Exodus, so the Bible recounts two creation stories. When something miraculous happened, it was very common to tell the story from many perspectives and in many ways. This was not seen as a conflict at all because truth was seen as a diamond with many sides and many angles. No one person could know the entire story. It took a community to tell it in a myriad of ways. It was a dance of voices that made up the whole and the story was living and breathing and was constantly being told and retold. So we open the pages of the Bible and we encounter two separate accounts of the creation. And yes, if you were to take a ruler and compare each detail, these stories do have some significant contradictions. This is why it has always been so hard for me to imagine how a literalist, or sometimes we call them fundamentalists, could approach the Holy Scripture. A person can't read more than two or three pages of the Bible without confronting contradiction right in front of their eyes. So how do they rationalize that? It, it is a mystery to me. But these contradictions, again, have no bearing on the value or the truth of the word of God. For me, they make it more real, more deep and rich and meaningful. The first story of creation is a poem. Perhaps it was once a song. It is the story of how God spoke or sang the creation into being. It was somehow through language, through communication, possibly through music, that all of us and all that we know was formed. The world as we perceive it 
was somehow a communication from God to us, an expression, a form of language in and of itself. Let there be light. Helen Keller became blind and deaf at the tender age of two after suffering from an unknown illness. She would later write that she lived in a world of darkness and chaos until a very stubborn and persistent tutor kept trying to reach her. Anne, her tutor, tried to reach Helen by spelling words into her hand and although Helen could mimic the movements, there was nothing connecting the object that she was feeling to the motions on her hand. She was not connecting the name with the thing that it was naming, and so it was all meaningless to Helen, and she lived in a world of total isolation and darkness. Annie, the tutor, just could not seem to reach her. After months of failure, the tutor, Anne Sullivan, grabbed Helen's hand and placed it under a faucet of a pump where water was spilling out. Again and again, Anne spelled the word water into Helen's hand. Water, water. Then, from somewhere deep inside her mind, Helen remembered the word wawa. She had learned that word right before becoming sick, which caused her blindness and deafness. In the moment of recognition, she connected the signs in her hand with the water pouring over it. Helen would later write that her whole universe was born that day. She was not alone. There was light in the darkness, and it came with a word. It came because she was able to reach out and communicate with another human being. That's how the world was made. That's how it became for, began for us, too. God reached out and spoke us into being. And from that moment on, God was not alone. Let's read the first few verses of Genesis 1. When God began, this is Alter's new translation, when God began to create heaven and earth, and the earth then was welter and waste. He uses those two words because the Hebrew is an uh, alliteration. And darkness over the deep, and God's breath hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And it was evening, and it was morning. First day. The words for chaos and darkness that were present before the creation, those words are difficult to translate. Alter uses the English words welter and waste because the Hebrew words tohu wabuhu rhyme in a wondrous way. More accurate English words might be emptiness, futility, like the barrenness of a desert today. 
the emptiness of outer space comes to mind. But even in the emptiness, the ruach of God hovers. The breath of God or spirit, wind or storm. It's a big Hebrew word. For the ancients, breath was life. When a baby was born and the air rushed into its lungs, that was life. And when a woman died of old age and her breath went away, it was life that was going away. So God was alive. God was breathing into the void. God was and is and always will be. And then this great poem of song of creation continues in the very order that science and evolution now confirm. From light to waters to creatures of the sea who crawl onto the land to plants and birds and eventually God creates humans. The descriptions of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air are best sung in praise at their infinite and splendid variety. They are manifestations of the voice of God, joyful sounds made into living beings, and all of it is good. And God saw that it was good. I think that is what all of us long for, for God to see us and know that we are good. But God does this all the time in a never-ending validation of the beauty of all creation and of you. God made you, and you are good. And then, God makes man. The word in Hebrew for man is Adam. It is best translated as human and has no definitive gender at first. Adama is the earth. And so one awkward translation could be earth creature. This human, humus is earth, is created by God in God's image. Somehow we were made more like God than the rest of the creation, mirroring God in some way. But I believe that this mirroring has to do with our function more than the way that we look. God asks us to watch over the earth on God's behalf. We are to hold sway over the earth. The Hebrew word is rada, and it means holds the key for how we are to understand our relationship with this earth and its creatures. This rada, this word, holds the meaning for this relationship. The word does not mean to rule or to have dominion over in a harsh sense. It's used in the prophet Ezekiel to depict the role of a shepherd who has rada over his sheep. It means to watch over, to hold sway, to subjugate, but for the purpose of protection, not consumption. Mastering, conducting, even parenting. It makes me think of walking my dog, Coley. Coley is a chocolate lab 
He's almost three, but he acts like a really dumb puppy. I love for him to run off of his leash because he adores it. It's so joyful. But he must learn to obey me, not so that I can lord it over him or show him my dominance, but simply because I know better. I understand that cars are dangerous, and people get mad if you rush up to them and try to jump on them, and that the dog at the end of the street is nuts and will bite him. But Coley knows none of these things. I must watch over him, and he must obey me because I have his best interests at heart, and I will keep him safe. Without me watching over him, he would be killed. He could never run safely through our neighborhood. I rule him, yes, but I do this so that he can be free. I provide the container of safety within which he can be himself and joyfully smell everything and run and play. We are created in the image of God because we are called to care for creation, to rule it not with an eye for ourselves, but with an eye for its thriving. None of the earth belongs to us. In fact, the concept of ownership does not come into this story at all. The concept of ownership does not come into this story at all. We are to watch over, to protect, to honor. Another image that comes to my mind is my, when my kids were toddlers, if I brought them to the Grand Canyon, I'd be holding on to them tightly, right? Because they don't understand what it would mean to fall off. And God speaks to us, to humanity, and God tells us, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and conquer it and hold sway over it. We are to enjoy making love and having children and making the earth produce and thrive. Our relationship with each other and our relationship with the earth are closely intertwined. Just as we produce children, we produce food. And just as we care for our children, we care for the land and the creatures that God has made. Would you say that you own your children? In the same way, there was simply no concept of owning the land or animals. And at the last, God sees it all and declares that it is very good. Not just humans, but the relationship between us and the creation that together is declared very good, and it reads, and God saw all that he had done, and look, it was very good. It is us living in harmony with the earth and with each other. That is what is very good. Not just human beings alone, but the relationship that we have with the whole of the creation. And finally, God does something really important. God stops. God stops doing. Then the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their array. And God completed on the seventh day the task he had done, and he ceased 
on the seventh day from all the task he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, for on it he had ceased from all his task that he had created to do. This is the tale of the heavens and the earth when they were created. God completed a task and then stopped doing. There is no word for rest here, for that might be something else that we could do. (laughs) God just stopped doing. It was over. It was complete. It was done. In this day and age, nothing is ever done, and we are never satisfied. It is one of the greatest illnesses of our day, this inability to be satisfied, to sit back and see something as complete. Complete does not mean perfect. It just means done. Our nights are sleepless, and our days rush by with the myth that nothing is ever done, and no one is ever satisfied. Why? Because in our consumer culture, it keeps us buying, right? But God finished. It is a blessing to stop doing and just be. We were also created for this, just to be, and to have our simple existence become the ultimate source of our blessing. question to ponder this morning. What does it mean to you that God made us to watch over the earth but not to own it? What should be our relationship with the creation? Have you ever had a taste of how this relationship should unfold? Have you ever felt a kinship to the earth?